All right, everyone, welcome back to the Minnesota Sports Podcast here with me, CJ Baumgartner, breaking down all that's going on here in the last week in Minnesota sports. And boy, was there a lot going on in this last week. Um, you know, well, mainly for for two teams, there was just a lot of action, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you know, going down for either 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 side, good or bad, and and we're going to talk about all of it here uh, coming up, and we're going to start off with everybody's favorite home nine, the Minnesota Twins, and um, I think it's safe to say it's time to hit the panic button a little bit, a, a little bit, definitely be being cautious. It's not ready to go full up, throw your arms up, and start running and screaming with your hair on fire, but uh, it's definitely been a concerning week for the Minnesota Twins. They lost six games in a row. They fell from a game and a half lead in the division to now now they have now they're a game and a half back of not only the Cleveland Indians but also the Chicago White Sox. We talked about last week they were coming on strong. Cleveland's been playing solid and. I think it says one thing, and one thing to point out quick, is that the White Sox, I think their record against the Pirates, the Royals, kind of those uh, those more bottom teams in the division, looked a lot like the Twins last year. It looked a lot like the Twins last year, uh, where they cleaned up against kind of these bottom teams. They cleaned up against teams like the Tigers. They cleaned up against teams like the Royals. And this year, they haven't been able to do that. I mean, heck, they got swept by the Tigers over the weekend. That's pretty concerning. They split the season series against Kansas City, which should not happen under any circumstances, considering where both teams are at right now. Um, So you look at teams like the Indians, teams like the White Sox, they cleaned up against teams they were supposed to clean up, and the Twins' ineffectiveness to do that is why they're in this position right now. And I just looked up before I started the podcast here. If you look at fan graphs, uh, a couple weeks ago, the Minnesota Twins had a 99% chance to make the playoffs. So basically a lock. Uh, now that chance has dipped down to 95%, which is small numbers when you think about it. But the fact that it's going down in this direction and that the Indians and the White Sox have both shot up, they're in that 98, 99% range. We're going to have three teams from the Central in the playoffs this year. That's, that's obviously going to be true. Um, this notion that the AL Central is the worst division in baseball. Uh, I think that's gone away. I think when you look at how the Twins are still good, the Indians still have great pitching, the White Sox still have the great hitting. The you know both those teams, all three of those teams are good. The Tigers, they're still a work in progress, but they have their pitching prospects coming up. You can kind of see their uh, their work slowly starting to pay off. They're obviously still a few years behind, but Guardy's got the boys playing in this uh, sixty game season, and the Royals are still in full rebuild, but. Uh, but there's still three solid teams in this division and one team that's slowly but surely on the upswing. Not to say that it's the best division in baseball, but uh, it's definitely uh, not It's definitely not the worst division in baseball anymore. Um, but it's a tough division this year, and the Twins... Uh, look, I, even in, through this week and through how bad they've played and the, and the lineup has just not been there, and we'll talk about that in a second, but... I still think this team can win the Central. I think Rocco Baldelli, despite his flaws as a manager, despite maybe being too laid back, despite, you know, maybe, you know, just not kind of having that uh, that instinct as a manager maybe yet, and maybe that just comes with time. But I think despite Rocco Baldelli's flaws, he's still the manager of the year. He's still a really good manager. He's very smart. He's very in tune to the game of baseball. He's a former player. He understands kind of these situations. They held a, they held a meeting. Uh, after the loss on Monday night to Chicago, and it paid off with a win yesterday. Um, but again, I I still think this team can win the Central. They are too talented not to win the Central. Um, 
this lineup just has to get going. And we'll talk about that kind of in a second here. But here's one thing I want to I wanna point out is that, look, we should be concerned. We should be very concerned. This division, we knew it was going to be tough. We knew the White Sox were coming. We knew the Indians were still good. But I think to be this far in the season, to have this race be still this tight, and not only that, but the Twins are on the outside looking in right now for the division. They're towards the bottom of the playoff bracket. I believe they'd be a six or a seven seed if the season were to end today. And we're looking at about a month until the season ends. So we are on the home stretch right now. Um, you know, I'm not ready to hit the panic button quite yet on this Twins team. I'm not ready to say that, look, I'm fairly less confident this team can win the division than I was a week ago, but I'm still confident enough that this team has the potential to win the division, and I will not be surprised if they end up turning it around and playing solid baseball. They're only a game and a half back, and they play the White Sox to and they play the White Sox again today. So they are not far back. They are not far behind getting themselves back into this. They still have matchups against Chicago. They still have matchups against Cleveland. So there are still time to catch up. The Twins just can't afford any more games. And I know everybody says that in the 60-game season. You can't afford a loss here. You can't afford a loss there. But, I mean, it's tight right now. And they can't afford any slip-ups. They have to play great baseball in these final 30 games if they want to put themselves in a good position for the playoffs going forward. Otherwise, they're going to end up playing the Yankees again. It's just how it's going to work out. Um, so with kind of with the way this division has kind of shaped this year, um, and I know it's hard to get a read on a lot of teams in a normal season because a normal season you're only in May and there's still a lot of season to go to kind of figure out uh, what a team is. But I think so far for this Twins team right now, or for this Twins team right now, they're not the Bomba squad of last year. Last year, we saw a team that just obliterated pitching. They outscored opponents. They averaged over six runs a game, or they averaged nearly six runs a game. Um, the pitching wasn't that great. The starting outside of Jose Barrios was very suspect. Michael Pineda was very suspect, and then Pineda got suspended. But the bullpen really came on in the final couple months of the season. But even then, pitching was still kind of the issue. Now pitching is more of a strength this year for the Minnesota Twins. Now, they're not to the level of Cleveland, obviously. They still have some holes, but I think overall this is a solid uh, pitching staff, not only in the bullpen, but in the starting rotation. And I think that this is a, I think it's a group that the Twins really like. Um, and I think that's kind of where the Twins are right now. They're, they're not, the Twins overcompensated with hitting last year. And this year they kind of scale back on the hitting, but the pitching's come a little bit closer. I still think last year's Twins team is obviously uh, better than this one right now with the lineup that's on right now. And again, everybody's got to get healthy and kind of break out of, of regression. But, uh, but I still think that this team can win the Central. They have enough talent. It's just that the hitting isn't quite as there as much last year, but the pitching is making up for it in a lot of areas. I mean, if we had some of the pitching we had in the last few seasons even, um, I'd be a lot more concerned. But the way the bullpen has been pitching, the way we've gotten some quality innings out of our starters, Michael Pineda came back last night, gave up a couple runs in the first inning, but settled down, pitched six very strong innings. And I think the Twins can still win the division at this pace. And actually, the way the 2019 Twins were built actually remind me a lot of the way that the uh, 2020 White Sox are built right now. They're a team that has some decent pitching. Keuchel, obviously, has been good for them this year. They have Giolito, who threw a no-hitter last week. They have pitching. Uh, it's not quite the strength of their team yet. Their bullpen has a little bit to be desired. But, um, you know, it's a team that's coming along. But the main strength of this team is hitting, and they're just hoping that, you know, when they play good teams, that they can just manage to out-hit them. Um, and 
and that kind of reminds me a lot of the twenty twenty or the twenty nineteen Twins. Um, and the Indians team obviously still prides itself on pitching. They have a couple good hitters in Santana, Lindor, Ramirez, but I mean their lineup top to bottom just isn't anywhere near the level of the White Sox or even the Twins lineup that they still are putting out right now. So I I think that this. I think that Cleveland obviously is the pitching, the White Sox have the hitting, and the Twins, I think, can make their ground kind of being that team that that tries to take a little bit of both. They can be that team that's not quite as impressive in either direction, but solid enough in both that it kind of makes up for each other. And I think that's the the Twins kind of way that they're going to end up having to win this division. And I still think that this is a team that can win the Central. I am not panicking. I'm not saying the season's over. This is still a team that's going to make the playoffs. Where they're going to be yet, we'll have to see. But I'm still confident that this team can win the Central. It's going to be a lot tougher, but this team can do it, and I think that they will do it. Twins are going to win the Central. Now, that could change. I'm saying that right now. It's September 2nd, and we'll see where we are a week from now, but I am standing by my belief right now that the Minnesota Twins can still win the American League Central in 2020. Um, But let's talk about some moves here at the trade deadline, um, or the lack thereof, um, for the Minnesota Twins. Now, obviously, the biggest uh, trade thing coming out of the Central is that Mike Clevenger was dealt to the San Diego Padres, and that kind of just stems from the fact of when he and teammate Zach Plesak decided to go out. Uh, not only when they were in Chicago a few weeks ago, they decided to go out on the town. They went out, they uh, broke kind of that protocol that they had as a team. That They had a team meeting. The team agreed to demote both of them as punishment for a couple weeks. And I think um, not only that, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it led to, a, I don't know if it was the fractured relationship that caused um, Clevenger to want out or if the team just decided that, you know, they didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to deal with him anymore. Now, I believe it was Clevenger. It was either him or Plesak, but I'm pretty sure it was Clevenger who made that video uh, kind of blaming the media and kind of blaming everybody for blowing this thing out of proportion. But uh, look, dude, if you're in the situation you're in, you can't, you can't be doing that. Now, I'm... You know, I'm not trying to COVID shame anyone here, but it, you, when you're in this position, when your team is counting on you, and even if you, you know, even if you get it, and even you're going to put your whole team in protocol, even if everybody's going to be fine, you put your whole team in protocol, you mess up the flow of their games. Now they got to, you add this extra stress onto the schedule by just shoehorning in a bunch of games toward the end of the year. It just doesn't, it's not great. And why even do that to your team? Why even kind of make that decision? And so he ended up getting himself traded and he, you know, in the whole process. Now he's going to Slam Diego, which by the way, uh, San Diego acquired like nine players and five trades at the trade deadline, uh, including former twin Jason Castro uh, at catcher. Uh, the San Diego Padres are going for it. They're still going to have to chase the Dodgers. They're a team that's going to make the playoffs, but they're trying to make some noise while they're in there. And not only did they get a great pitcher in Mike Clevenger, but they got a guy with a lot of team control still left. Um, and obviously they had to give up a lot for him, but the Padres in all their trading didn't give up any of their top eight prospects, which is still really, really good for them. Um, but anyway, just kind of wanted to touch on that. I think it's a great trade for uh, San Diego. I think they got a proven pitcher with service time. And I think Cleveland, yeah, they got a lot of pieces in the process, but the Twins also got a lot of pieces for Johan Santana, and none of them panned out. So it's hard. I mean, just like in base in football, when people say, yeah, the Vikings got a first-round pick for Stephon Diggs, that's pretty good value, and now we got a guy to replace him. It's also like, yeah, but you had a sure thing before. 
So even though you think you got a young guy and you got a guy you like and maybe they'll be good, you don't know. But that's the thing is you don't know and you gave up a proven asset for ones who have to prove themselves again. So not saying that it's a bad trade. Trades are always one in hindsight. They're never one in the moment. Uh, so we'll have to see how this goes. But right now, San Diego is gearing themselves up. And the Twins, ugh, squeak, and the Twins uh, decided to just stamp out at the deadline. Now, that's something that we talked about on the show last week. And I kind of talked about that before, whereas the Twins really don't need to make a move. They don't have any... I mean, they have a couple holes, obviously, like they're not a perfect lineup, but but in terms of p- trying to get people to replace them, the Twins already have their guys. It's just that they're slumping right now. They're slumping right now, and they got to figure out a way to get out of it. This offense has been cold. I think they've only scored, uh, s- they've only scored five or more runs in a game six times in the last month, and this is a team that averaged last season about five over five and a half runs a game, almost six runs a game. So this is a team that has been struggling on offense. It feels like for the last week they've barely been able to muster two runs a game, and yesterday they won by a score of three to two. So the offense still is kind of lacking behind. Just not a lot of. Uh, not a lot of big innings, not able to pile stuff on, just guys haven't been able to come up with runners in position. Um, you know, guys like Rosario have just looked absolutely lost at the plate right now. Um, but yeah, I think right now, uh, outside of trading for any big names, outside of trading for that Mike Clevenger, outside of trading for Trevor Bauer, who was not going to be given up on the market, outside of making a deal for one of those big name guys, there's no way... I mean, there there's no move that you could have did. Now, I saw the Twins were in talks for Lance Lynn. They were in talks for Dylan Bundy. And while those guys would have helped, I don't really think that any of them would have made a significant impact enough to worth giving up prospects at the deadline. I think the way that you have your rotation right now when you got Pineda back, um, I think the way that they just have things set up right now, trading really doesn't work out in their best interest. And they have to give up prospects and and all this kind of stuff. I think the the biggest asset, and people have been saying this all the time, is that the Twins are getting Byron Buxton back, and you saw that last night. Buxton robbed a home run from Encarnacion. He had the go-ahead RBI single in the seventh inning. You know, he he was had another hit earlier in the game. Uh, when Buxton's on, he's on, and I think, you know, when he gets that confidence going, he can be really good, not only in the field, because he's always great in the field, but when he, he's a very streaky hitter, but when he's on, he's on. And... I think that's a big asset. The Twins are expecting to get Josh Donaldson back today. That's going to be another huge kind of lift for this team. Now, it doesn't fix everything because it doesn't really fix the the true problem, which is that this team is just slumping at the plate right now, and guys are struggling. Guys are having regression. Luis Rice, who's coming on, you know, kind of has has been up and down in his sophomore season. Um, You know, this was a guy who some people thought could bat 400 this year. He's batting, I think, 265. Which again is fine. Like Luis Rice is fine. I'm not saying he's he's been playing terrible, but he's just kind of been playing a little bit less than maybe expected. Um, you know, guys like Sano and Cruz are obviously playing really well. And we kind of talked about this uh, on the show before. Is that some of these guys are just naturally having regressions? Guys like Garver having a very very bad year. They're regressing. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys had career years in 2019, and there's just a natural part of regression that takes place um, with this team. And I think getting guys healthy is the biggest thing, but they also have to they also have to figure out a way to just it just has to click. And that's some that's the best and worst answer you can give right now, which is there really isn't a good answer. You just kind of have to keep running with what you're doing and hope that everything just starts to click. And everything starts to click in the last few weeks of the season and you can get hot. Now this team is still in a good position. It's not like they're on the outside looking into the playoff picture. They're on the outside looking into the division. 
But uh, for those kind of saying that the Twins needed to make a big move at the trade deadline just to make a move, like, come on, guys, we need to make a trade. We need a spark. We need to do something. We need to just, just trade for a pitcher. We need to just trade for a batter. We need to kind of make a move. Good teams don't make moves to make moves. Good teams don't make a trade because they feel like they have to make a trade. It's a sign of desperation. And trades made in desperation are always the ones that you look back on and think, that was stupid. They're always the ones that in the moment you think are dumb, and then in the hindsight are really dumb. I mean, you can't make moves just to make moves. This Twins front office is smart. They're very calculated for better or worse. And they made the right move by standing pat at the trade deadline. Um, But again, just to kind of finish up my final point, the, the Twins didn't need to make a move at the trade deadline. That's not that would have been that would have fixed a symptom of, you know, trying to trade it would have been trying to address a symptom when you need to address the issue. The symptom is that the twins are slumping right now. But the main issue is the fact that they just haven't been able to get the bats going. And they really haven't been able to get them going since really kind of middle of August, ever since after that series in Pittsburgh. It just kind of has felt a little bit off. So this Twins team really needs to kind of get back on track. They really need to kind of figure out what they're doing from an offensive standpoint. And that's basically the biggest thing. And no trade is going to fix that. Not even calling up guys like Rooker. Not even calling up guys, you know, like Kirloff. I know that a lot of people have been calling for that. But with the way the Twins are right now with service time and with uh, kind of how they like to handle service time and with the way some of these prospects are and kind of how far we are in the season, to really expect Rooker to come in and provide kind of just instantly be a thumper in the lineup to expect Kirilov to come in right away and do great. Now, these guys are great prospects and they're going to be great players, but to expect them to just come right in to this slumping team and just be a spark plug, it's a lot to ask of them. And to expect them to come in right away and hit big league pitching and just, yeah, it, it's a lot to ask and it's kind of putting a lot of your hopes in something that it's basically like it'll help. It's not going to make it worse. Trading for a guy wouldn't have made the team worse, it would have helped. You know, it wouldn't have hurt, but to say that it would have fixed everything and that you're going to put all your hopes in trading for that pitcher, trading for that hitter would have turned this team around, it really wouldn't have happened. And even with calling up a prospect to expect them to come in and be the savior of this team, it's not going to happen. It's not just one guy who needs to be replaced. It's not just a couple guys. It's it's about three or four, and you got on this lineup that need to really turn it around this season who have been slumping. And whether it's just regressing to the mean or whether they're just having a bad season, um, whatever it is, this Twins team needs to figure out how to score runs, and they need to figure out how to do it in a hurry. Otherwise, they're going to be in a pretty bad position come uh, come October. But I think that about covers it all on the Twins. Um, they got a big... Uh, they got a big win last night, kind of a, you know, and it doesn't mean a whole lot if they lose today, but they got a big win last night, and I think it really could be something that could kind of just make everybody take a breath of fresh air and just kind of, uh, you know, maybe just calm everybody down a little bit, especially after losing so many games in a row. This team is this team is only a game and a half back of the division. It's going to be tighter than we thought, but you know what? This team can still win the division. But uh, they play today at 7-10, and then they have a, and then they have a, uh, series against the Tigers at Target Field this weekend. Um, I believe it's a double header on Friday because of the way this schedule is set up. Yes, it is a double header on Friday uh, because of the uh, rain delay last weekend and because of the protest uh, last weekend. So that'll kind of be your weekend lineup. The Twins have a kind of a, they have a really tough stretch ahead. A lot of, uh, you know, after they get done with the Tigers, then they got the Cardinals, they got the Indians, they got the White Sox, 
Then they have the Chicago Cubs, who are in first place in the NL Central. Tigers again, Reds again, and then the season's over. So again, this is the home stretch. They really got to be, uh, they really got to be thinking to get it in gear right now. Otherwise, they're not going to defend the Central this year. Uh, we're going to move on now to the Minnesota Vikings, who decided to make a splash. Uh, you know, as we talk about uh, making a trade just to make a trade, or kind of, you know, providing that spark for your team and all that kind of stuff. The Vikings go out and they decide to make a trade to uh, fill a hole that they need on their roster, which is defensive end outside of Daniil Hunter. Uh, so the Vikings trade for Unique Ngakwe. It took me a little bit to uh, learn how to pronounce his name, but Unique Ngakwe, uh, the defensive end for the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, very unhappy with his situation there. Uh, contract uh, extension talks broke off a couple of years ago. Uh, he wanted to be paid big money. The Jaguars didn't really have a lot of good faith negotiations. He said he wasn't going to play for him. They franchise tag him anyway. He refuses to play. He's refused to even sign the tender. Got in a Twitter screaming match with uh, the owner's son uh, for the Jaguars. Uh, very unhappy to play there. But from all accounts of beat reporters who follow the team, of people who have followed the team closely, is that Unique Ngakwe is still a great teammate guy. He's still a very good team guy. Um, even when there was contract disputes the year before, um, he still showed up to play every day. There wasn't an issue during the season. Um, so this is still a guy who who was a good player, who was a good teammate. He was just very unhappy of the situation he was in in Jacksonville and, and mad that he couldn't leave, and the Jaguars were forcing him to stay there despite them not wanting to really make a long-term effort to keep him there. So... Um, you know, uh, the Vikings do a great thing by trading for him. I mean, it gives you an, another pass rusher outside of Daniel Hunter, gives you uh, a replacement for Everson Griffin. We'll kind of get into that in a second. But uh, all the Vikings had to give up was the second-round pick and a conditional fifth-round pick that could be as much as a third-round pick if they win the Super Bowl, which I don't think it's going to happen this year. But, uh, you know, so it could, you know, fourth or fifth-round conditional pick is what they gave up. Um, and it kind of goes to the point of, the Vikings having all these extra picks because Spielman likes to trade back. And for all the crap we give Rick Spielman about trading back in the draft to accumulate all these picks and, and drafting 15 players and, and trading back even more and trying to just hoard picks. The reason you do that is so you have flexibility to ship a second round pick and an, and a, and another later round pick. You can afford to give these things to give out these picks. And then you're not like Bill O'Brien who's sitting there with like four picks in the draft. I mean, it's it's what you got to do. You got to hoard picks because they are val they're more valuable than you think. Even if it's just some late round guy who never pans out, just having that extra pick gives you kind of gives you more ammunition uh, in your arsenal to be able to trade for players like Unique and Gakwe. The second round pick, obviously, the Jaguars are hoping for a first round pick. Uh, kind of as time went by, the Vikings were able to squeeze him out for a set for only a second. He's expected to practice today as first practice with Minnesota. Um, now, I've heard a lot of speculation um, about kind of how, what he's going to be. Now, I know, uh, and I guess maybe before we kind of get into this too much, let's just kind of talk about who Unique Ngakwe is as a player for those who aren't very familiar with him. Now, he's a great uh, defensive end. He was great for the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, you know, a big piece in kind of that 2017 defense that got all the way to the AFC Championship game, nearly got to a Super Bowl. Um, he is great at getting pressures. He's great at getting to the quarterback. He's great at kind of causing chaos in the backfield. He's, um, he's I think, had six forced fumbles in the last uh, three seasons 
um, which is really good. Um, he just has a knack for getting to the quarterback, not only that, but getting getting the ball out of his hands. Um, he's not as great in the run game, uh, in kind of run stopping. Uh, he's gotten better over that over the course of his career, but it's definitely something that's still... Uh, Kind of probably won't be as much to Mike Zimmer's liking. Mike Zimmer's a guy who really likes his team to be able to stop the run. But, um, you know, I think it's something Zimmer will get over because of how good of a pass rusher he is. And keep in mind, this guy's only 25 years old. So this guy's 25 years old. Daniil Hunter's in his mid-20s. Now you have your two DNs that you could set up if you lock up Unique Ngakwe. If you lock him up, you have your two defensive ends for the next, what, five, six, seven years locked up. Now, you're going to have to pay him a lot of money. Daniel Hunter is only making, what, $14 million a year, and the Vikings are probably going to try and work out a deal to end up paying him more money because he's way outperformed that contract. Um, you're going to have to extend Unique Ngakwe. I mean, I think that's the only thing. I think the Vikings don't trade for him if they don't believe that they can get an extension done. And the Vikings are not allowed by the NFL laws to um, do contract negotiations or sign an extension until next season because he signed the franchise tag tender. So the way, or he passed the deadline, I believe, to renegotiate the contract. So essentially, uh, he's playing, he's a one-year rental for now until the Vikings uh, can get an extension worked out in March. And that's a lot of time until then, a lot can change. But I think the Vikings didn't give up a second-round pick. They didn't make this move to trade just for a rental player. I think this is a guy that they think that they can re-sign, that this is a guy they think that they can extend. And they probably ended up talking to his agent, you know, the legality of it, maybe. Maybe they just kind of slid a piece of paper and said, this piece of paper is going to disappear in 20 seconds. Uh, check yes or no. Would you be interested in signing an extension? Checks the box, looks at it, rips it up, and they forget it never happened. Um, you know, but the but the Vikings have to have some kind of uh they have to have some kind of idea that they can extend Ngakwe beyond this season. Otherwise, I think it's just a lot to trade for him. But even then, if it's a rental and you have a great season, who knows? But um maybe it kind of buys you a year until you can address that situation further. But I think for what you gave up to get him, I think you have a pretty good idea that you can extend him. Now, they're going to have to put a lot of money into him. I mean, both these guys are kind of top 15 defensive ends in the league. Daniel Hunter, obviously top five. Unique Ngakwe, more kind of a top 15 player. He's obviously not as good as Daniel Hunter. Not kind of one of the top edge rushers, but definitely up there in terms of really good production. Um you're going to have to give up 15 plus million. So if you're thinking kind of close to 18 million, I would guess for Daniel Hunter, somewhere in that 18 to 20 million range. And then you think of that 15 to 17 million, probably for Ngakwe. I mean, you're looking at pouring 35 plus million into two, uh, into two defensive linemen, just on your defense. So with some of the other contracts, the team has look, they'll have to work it out. They're pretty smart with how they work out the, uh, the cap money, but I think that uh, I think that it's just I don't know I uh, I don't know I, I I'm optimistic that they can re-sign him I think the Vikings will find the way to make the money work but I think they would have, but to do it they're gonna have to pour a lot of money into that and they're gonna have to be willing to uh, gonna have to be willing to shed that out now Zimmer's a defensive guy he's more willing to do that but uh, we'll see how it goes um, so kind of and here's the one thing I want to make this distinction I know a Sheldon Richardson was a one-year rental player. The Vikings got him, but they knew coming in he was going to be a one-year rental player. They kind of essentially said, look, you know, you're going to, you kind of had a down year before with Seattle. You want to make the bank. Just come here, play one year, play on a really good defense, 
and you will get the numbers, you'll get kind of what you want, and then you'll sign a big extension next year. And even though it didn't work out quite how everybody planned it to be, um, Sheldon Richardson still had a solid year, and the Vikings kind of knew he was going to be just kind of a mercenary who was coming in to, uh, you know, he, was, he wasn't going to be here long term. There was no hope he was going to be there long term. Um, you just kind of brought him in and hope that you could make it work in that one year. And maybe that's the plan. But I think the way I think with Ngakwe's age, I think with his ability, I think this is the guy the Vikings have to think that they can get into a long-term extension. Otherwise they probably don't trade. Uh, they probably don't trade for him in this situation, but uh, let's talk for a second about uh, kind of if he can replace Everson Griffin. Um I know a lot of people are saying he's better than Everson Griffin. He's not as good as Everson Griffin. I'm kind of more in the line that Everson Griffin, you just can't match the production he brought to the Vikings and kind of the veteran leadership and kind of his technique, kind of how he did things. He was, a you know, outside of 2018, which obviously was bad for a multitude of reasons for him. Um, 2019 and 2017 were really solid. Everson Griffin had a really solid year last year. And if it wasn't for his age and kind of the price tag that he would be, I'm sure the Vikings really wanted him back. But I... He's he's in Dallas now. The Vikings moved on from him. Sometimes you kind of have to make those tough decisions to kind of move on to somebody. And if you land a guy like Ngakwe, he's not as good as Everson Griffin, but he's pretty darn close. He's I'm not going to say he's better than Everson Griffin, but he's he's definitely a solid player, and he's better than what you had before. Uh, kind of with guys like Odenabo or kind of that rotating spot on that end. You didn't really know who was going to be, and obviously going this far in training camp, the Vikings probably looked at it thought, okay, you know what? We really think we need to improve at this position, and they went out, and they got Ngakwe. Um, and here's kind of uh, one thing I'll uh, kind of say. I'll kind of dip into kind of the winners and losers of this Ngakwe trade. The winners in this trade are Daniil Hunter, obviously, who uh, gets another good defensive end, which means that that's one less guy, you know, you can put all your, you know, if they're without Daniel Hunter, if I'm the Packers in week one, I'm game planning to put as much help on Daniel Hunter's side of the line as I can. And I don't really concern myself much with the other side. Now with Unique Ngakwe, you still obviously are trying to stop Hunter and you're probably going to put more of your uh, focus on him. But Unique Ngakwe is still a great player. And if you don't pay enough attention to him, He's gonna, you know, he's gonna have a good game. So then you got to move him over. It means less guys trying to get in the way. Daniel Hunter, um, so that's a that's a win. It's a win for Mike Zimmer, who's trying to rebuild this defense, um, who's trying to kind of figure out what he has right now. Um, it's a win for Mike Zimmer in the sense that he's he got a contract extension, but it's still it's still a season where if this goes south enough that, you know, both Rick and Zimmer could be fired. So this is kind of a move to kind of bolster it up. It's kind of say, we're going for it. We're still trying to win. Even though we're rebuilding this defense, it doesn't mean that we're going to take, you know, we're going to take a year off and just be bad. We're still trying to be competitive on defense. We're still trying to have a top, you know, 15, top 10 defense. I think the Vikings will probably be about kind of 15 to 10 in that range right now. But, uh, you know, it's definitely going to look a lot better with Ngakwe. And I think one of the biggest things, too, that is kind of underrated and talked about this is the impact that it's going to have on the secondary, the impact that it's going to have on the corners. Uh, You know, obviously Gladney, Dantzler, uh, Holton Hill, um, you know, those guys um, I'm blanking on. Mike Hughes, uh, the first-round draft pick in 2018. You know, you look at some of these guys, they're very young. You know, uh, Mike Hughes and Holton Hill have obviously had playing experience, but nothing to the level that they're going to have this year. And uh, you have guys like Gladney and Dantzler coming into the fold, you know, in their rookie years. It's a lot to ask of a young secondary, even though they have Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris to help them out. 
they it's still going to be tough to ask you know them to to hold in coverage for so long. So you get another good pass rusher like Ngakwe. You know, that's one of the first things you, when you have a bad secondary, one of the best ways to address it is to increase your pass rush. It's a second or two less that those corners have to cover. You know, it adds more pressure on the quarterback, doesn't, you know, kind of hurries up his decision making. Um, so I think it helps out Hunter, it helps out Zimmer, it helps out the secondary. I think those are the three biggest winners from this trade. Uh, I think the biggest losers from the trade, um, Dalvin Cook is a big loser in the trade because. All the Vikings cap money is going there, and not only is it going there, it's uh, going to go, if they sign him to an extension, it's going to go to next year. And I think Dalvin Cook's team probably overplayed their hand a little bit in deciding not to take the final offer the Vikings gave him and deciding to wait and kind of play till next year. Because if he has a great year, then fine, he has a great year. But if he doesn't, I mean, not only is his value going to go down, but he could have had the chance to play it safe and take the money that the Vikings were offering in front of him, which by the way, the Vikings have good faith negotiations with Dalvin. Like they are, you know, they probably offered him a a fair enough deal. I mean, maybe, I mean, obviously it wasn't exactly what he was looking for, but it's not like the Vikings were shortchanging him in these negotiations. So I think Dalvin's team overplayed their hand. They thought they could get a better deal if they just waited out. And, you know, obviously it didn't work out. The Vikings are like, all right, fine. Dalvin's not going to jump on this. We're going to you know, we're going to use our money elsewhere. We're going to use our cap space elsewhere for now. And if the Vikings end up signing Ngakwe to a long-term extension, or at least just the threat of them signing him, I mean, that definitely plays into how much money the Vikings can pay Dalvin. So if I'm Dalvin Cook, I'm a loser in this deal. Um, if I'm Afani Odenabo, I'm a loser in this deal. Uh, Afani Odenabo was kind of set to take that defensive end position that would have been opened with the absence of Everson Griffin, but... Um, obviously the Vikings didn't like enough of what they see in him. And I know Odenabo went to Twitter to voice his frustration about the Ngakwe trade, but there's still hay to be made in the NFL as a situational pass rusher. Odenabo is still a good player. He still made good plays for the Vikings last season. He'll still make good plays for the Vikings this season. He's just not going to be in that starting full-time role. And obviously it's frustrating if you went to camp for weeks, kind of assuming you're going to be the starter. And then at the last minute you find out they trade somebody just you know, to replace you and not only to take away your playing time, but also because they didn't feel that you were good enough to fill that position long term. So that's going to be something to kind of keep an eye out for. Um, So those are kind of the two uh, big losers. Also another loser uh, probably in this situation is Riley Reef, because uh, just because of the fact that uh, Riley Reef ended up having to restructure his contract and almost getting cut. He had to take a little bit of a pay cut. had to, you know, almost got cut uh, because the Vikings need to clear up some cap space for Ngakwe. Um, but here's the thing with Riley Reef I don't get. And and this isn't anything against Riley Reef. Um, this is against the Minnesota Vikings for going to Reef and essentially saying, we're going to cut you, or you need to take a pay cut, or we're going to cut you. And. I'm really happy that Reef decided just to take the pay cut and stay. You know, some of that probably has to do with the fact that in this COVID time, it's probably really hard to uh, to not only uh, find a new team, but then to go through their protocols and testing and learn a new offense and f- move and move during a COVID time and all this kind of stuff. So I think Reef decided to stay put for those reasons. Also, maybe he just still wanted to be here, but I think a lot of the thing was they were expecting him to get cut. Maybe his agent kind of did some floating and thought it was going to be tougher to find a job than he thought and decided to stay. But either way, Riley Reef is going to stay in purple. And I know there's some people that are frustrated about this, but I think it's a really good thing. I think Riley Reef has been solid for the Minnesota Vikings. Is he a little bit overpaid? Yeah, he's a little bit overpaid, but he's still a 
He's still a serviceable left tackle. And you know what, Vikings fans, after seeing guys like TJ Clemmings, after seeing guys like Matt Khalil, after seeing some of these guys who just been absolute horror shows at left tackle, giving Kirk Cousins zero time, giving Vikings quarterbacks of the past zero time to throw the ball, I'll take a guy like Riley Reef, who, you know, he'll get overpowered when he plays some of the better defense events. He's not perfect, but you know what? He's a guy that can fill in and you can trust him. You can you you are not worried that he's just going to absolutely blow up. A, he's not going to have a play get absolutely blown up on him. Um, I'm really happy that Reef is still here. We can't, and and the Vikings like to do this thing where they like to think that they can just shuffle around offensive linemen. They've done it with Pat. They're doing it with Pat Elfline right now. They've did it with guys like Brandon Fusco before. They've kind of did it with you know they they've just done it with a multitude of linemen, thinking that that we can move him here and him here and him there, and and sometimes it works, but sometimes it's just when you get too cute with the offensive line, it doesn't work out. And this Vikings offensive line unit has been in training camp all year, kind of with Reef at left tackle, with O'Neill at right tackle, and I know when Reef mispractice. On uh, Monday, uh, O'Neal was playing left tackle, which I know a lot of people want. But I'm thinking, guys, even if O'Neal does move to left tackle, right right now where you're less than two weeks before the regular season opening, it's just not the it's not a great time at all to be messing up your offensive line continuity. I mean, it's hard to mess up offensive line. It's not great to off to mess up that offensive line continuity as it is. But the fact that you think that you have to do it you know, this close to the regular season, it's not going to go well, especially when you're playing a huge game in week one against Green Bay. So I, I really, I'm really happy that Reef is here. I I, I don't think shuffling around the offensive line is the answer. Even if moving O'Neal to left tackle, I think O'Neal would be a good left tackle. He's a really good right tackle or even moving Rashad Hill to left tackle. I think Again, it's just you can't shuffle around this offensive line and expect it to be great. And I think even though Ngakwe would have added a great presence to the defense, losing Reef because of it and then having your offensive line suffer, which is worse because then it directly impacts Kirk, Kirk Cousins, which directly impacts the rest of your offense, I think would have been a I think would have been way more of a disservice than if we would have just rode out with Odenipo. So I'm glad we got Ngakwe, but I'm also glad that we're keeping Riley Reef. Again, Reef isn't a guy I'm saying extend. He's not a guy I'm saying is a top offensive tackle, but I'm saying he's a guy that the Vikings can't afford to lose right now because he's a serviceable NFL lineman, and right now the Vikings really don't have any other options. And I think I want to end the podcast just kind of talking about, uh, and actually one last thing too is uh, kind of Zimmer in the press conference yesterday, they were kind of acting, you know, the media were asking questions about kind of losing Reef and losing all this kind of stuff. And, and Zimmer was very quiet on it. He was kind of like, let the situation play out, let the situation play out, which kind of meant that he thought that there was a chance that he could still come back. He wasn't ready to kind of put the nail in the coffin. And Zimmer would be a guy, if he thought the nail was in the coffin, he would have commented on it. So obviously he kind of had some sense that Reef was going to come back, but uh, glad that Reef is going to, is going to still be in purple for the season. Um, lastly, we're going to end the podcast just kind of on talking about the Vikings in general and their willingness, and especially under Rick Spielman, to pull the trigger on kind of these late end of training camp deals when you feel like you need to make the move. And you know what? It's not making a move to make a move. It's not, eh, let's just make a move right before the season. It's not, uh, you know what? Maybe we should just kind of do this to do it. It's okay. We have a need here. We looked around our options on the league. Um, good player, um, not a lot to give up for him, uh, you know, guy we can sign long-term, kind of some of these things that the Vikings are looking at. They've been able to make these kind of moves before, whether you look at it uh, a couple of years ago uh, with the Sam Bradford trade, whether you look at it um, with the signing of Kirk Cousins, 
but you look at with kind of some of these other trades the Vikings have swung kind of in the last few years, the Vikings are not afraid to go for it. They are not afraid to make that kind of big deal. Rick is not afraid to pull the trigger. General Manager Rick Spielman, not afraid to pull the trigger. Um, even heck, before kind of when before Rick was even here, kind of running the show in Minnesota, the Vikings were not afraid to make these big moves. Kind of the last. Kind of the biggest parallel to Ngakwe is probably the Jared Allen sign or the Jared Allen trade about uh, 12 years ago when the Vikings decided to uh, trade with Kansas City for Jared Allen, who was having an issue with this contract uh, in Kansas City. The Chiefs didn't want to pay him. The Vikings not only traded for him, they worked out an extension, and he was in Minnesota for the next, uh, I believe it was seven seasons. So um, I think. I mean, not afraid to make that move to get that pass rusher, to pay the pass rusher, and to kind of to kind of go go for it and to kind of set the Vikings up, who have been really blessed to kind of have these uh, these pass rushers. When you go from Jared Allen and then you move into Everson Griffin and then you move into Daniil Hunter, you have solid guys like Brian Robeson on the other side. Um, you know, the Vikings have been really uh, fortunate in the last 10, 12 years to have this kind of line of good pass rushers, and uh, it's going to keep continuing with Ngakwe. Um, and one kind of last move is the Brett Favre signing. Obviously, that's another one where the Vikings kind of decided to go for it uh, later in the season. But but again, this Vikings, this team is, they want to go for it. They want to try and uh, kind of get this defense. I mean, Mike Zimmer said it. He doesn't. He's never had a bad defense, and he doesn't want that to continue this year. Not saying that it was going to be bad this year, but it definitely was going to probably be one of Zimmer's bigger challenges since coming to Minnesota, probably since his first season when he kind of didn't really have the guys he wanted or wanted to build the team kind of the way he wanted to build it. Now he kind of has to do that again with the soft rebuild in the secondary, um, and it only helps out the secondary when you have a great pass rusher like Ngakwe, and it helps out Ngakwe, who benefited a lot from having defensive end Calais Campbell in Jacksonville. It's going to benefit a lot from having Daniil Hunter there, who we talked about last week, is finally going to start uh, practicing sometime soon. Uh, don't know if he'll quite be ready for Green Bay, but he will be uh, there shouldn't be an issue as the season's starting. Um, and again, this Vikings team is going for it. And I know we talked about with the twins and it kind of sounds a little, you know, each situation is different. The twins were not in a situation. There weren't options on the market that would have helped the twins. There was not a pitcher that the twins could realistically acquire that was going to help them in this situation. The Vikings, on the other hand, had a guy like Ngakwe who filled a position of need that they really needed and didn't have to give up a, f- a giant amount of of kind of capital to end up getting him here. So I think there are the differences there, um, but kind of in those two trades, but you got to hand the Vikings to going for it. You got to hand the Twins to uh, kind of staying pat and trusting what they got right now. So we'll kind of see how this plays out uh, as we uh, move closer. We'll uh, preview the Vikings uh, game against the Packers next week. Kind of weird to say. Uh, without preseason games, it kind of feels like the NFL season is kind of uh, sneaking up on us. So we'll kind of break that down. We'll break out down the last kind of week in Twins baseball. Hopefully they can uh, turn it around as the season's coming. Hopefully this lineup can get hot. The pitching has been doing well. Hopefully Big Mike can get it going. Um, but again, uh, it's going to be another we- busy week in Minnesota sports, just like this last one. And you know what? Keep it coming because this is a lot of great content. And as the draft kind of gets closer in the NBA, as kind of that stuff breaks down, so we kind of get more news on what the Wolves are going to do, we'll break that down as well. Uh, really only a two-sports uh, show today. But uh, 
that's how it is. And you know, we're going to keep it going and uh, listen here next week for uh, more stuff. You're listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. All right, well, I was going to end the podcast, but uh, just kind of scrolling through the Twitters and seeing uh, kind of this new thing that we're all going to be outraged about today. And uh, in the sporting world, it's decided to focus on the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. So, uh, Quarterback Kirk Cousins did an interview with NFL Network's Kyle Brandt. He's pretty friendly with those guys over there at NFL Network. Did a did an interview. Uh, I think it aired a couple weeks ago um, or a week ago or something like that. But um, uh, every the kind of the interview was transcribed and uh, it was released. And uh, the New York Post, I believe, did a, did an article about it. And um, it kind of talked about Kirk Cousins uh, basically saying that he's a uh, against mask wearing, but still wears them out of respect for people. And you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read you what it says in uh, the uh, New York Post. Uh, Brant asked, "Who Brant, the guy interviewing Kirk Cousins, asked if one if one is the person who says masks are stupid, you are all a bunch of lemmings. And ten is I'm not leaving my master bedroom for the next ten years. Where do you land?" After a chuckle, Cousins responded, I'm not going to call anybody stupid for the trouble it would get me in, but I'm at about a point zero 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 one. Cousins replied, I want to respect other people's concerns are, what other people's concerns are. For me personally, just talking, no one else can get the virus. What is your concern if you if you could get it? I would say I'm going to go about my daily life. If I get it, I'm going to ride it out. I'm going to let nature do its course, survival of the fittest kind of approach, and just say if it knocks me out, it knocks me out. I'm going to be okay, you know? Even if I die, I die. I kind of have peace about that. Which is a little bit of a morbid statement, but... Um, but, you know, I don't, again, Kirk Cousins, when he said, and ESPN had the quote, and then they had it saying, Kirk Cousins taking survival of the fittest approach towards virus. It's like, no. And people are going to think, well, does that mean he wants everybody to just go about their daily lives and everybody to be around touching each other, giving each other COVID? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying personally, he's not concerned. He thinks he's healthy. He thinks if he gets it, he can just ride it out. And you know what? He can make that decision for himself. Life's about taking risks. I'm, you know, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, I'm not going to sit here and get into this whole mask thing or get into this whole, you know, kind of thing. The CDC says it's thing about masks. You should listen to them. They're smarter than me. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to sit here and rip Kirk Cousins and say he's a bad person or anything like that. Because the biggest thing out of all this, they're going to rip him for saying he's not big into the mask wearing. But he did say, he did say that he will wear them out of respect and courtesy for people around him, which is, by the way, what you should do. That is a normal take. You don't have to agree with this thing, but you're going to say, out of respect for other people, I'm going to do it, but personally, I have some issues with it. And you know what? That is completely fine. And the fact that we got to rip Kirk Cousins for this, the fact that we all got to sit here on Twitter and shame him and sit here on Twitter and talk about how we're such better people because we we have this higher opinion, I'm not going to sit here and listen to it. I mean, I would say this if it was any other quarterback, but the fact that it was Kirk Cousins, I thought, uh, should be added to the podcast. Um, so that's my uh, that's ending the rant here for the week. Is just I don't get this uh, story with Kirk Cousins. People on Twitter are ripping him. People are going to rip him on ESPN. They're going to rip him on all the talk shows. But you know what? He's not doing anything wrong. He's following the rules that are put forth in Minnesota in the country. He's doing his thing, and if he has personal disagreements about it, he has personal disagreements about it, but he's not going out to Walmart not wearing a mask and coughing on people. He's not going into TCO Performance Center and licking the weights. I mean, I don't know what you want from him. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm not going to sit here and, and bash Kirk Cousins. I'm going to sit here and blame the sports media who are going to take a uh, thing that really shouldn't be that big of a story and they're going to sit there and they're going to talk about it and this is going to dominate the ESPN cycle. This is going to dominate Minnesota sports media for a couple days. I just thought I'd get my shot in now before the end of the week and uh, you know what? 
you know, uh, we live in the weirdest timeline. And, uh, you know, Kirk, Cous- Kirk Cousins, man, um, he's an interesting guy. He's a very awkward kind of guy. If you ever look at him in inter- interviews, um, he's very, you know, he's kind of, uh, he- he's definitely not, uh, he's definitely not, he doesn't have that kind of media personality. He's very goofy and he's very funny and he sometimes has some great lines, but you can tell he's just very awkward. He's kind of very calculated. You can feel the gears turning sometimes, but, uh, but no, I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to sit here and rip Kirk Cousins for this. Um, you know what? He can have his opinion. He's entitled to have his opinion, but you know what? I'm not going to sit here and, and be one of those people standing on my high horse talking about how bad of a person Kirk Cousins is for wearing a mask in public when he needs to even though he doesn't feel, even though he doesn't see it the same way. And you can have that discussion on your own, but yeah, uh, that's what we're going to end the podcast on this week. A great, uh, a great note, but um, yeah, that's kind of the thing that's uh, been going on in Minnesota sports here. We're going to break it all down next week here on the Minnesota sports podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota sports podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.